Good morning, everyone. Whoops, let me get this mic away. I don't need to put it in my mouth. No. No one called in. It's too late. Too late. Tell her to listen to it on the stream. Yeah, listen to it on stream. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our 2016 meeting of Guide Dog Users of Florida. We are going to dispense with most of the business. Uh, we have a really good program to present today. There are a couple of things I want to mention, though, quickly. Uh, first of all, if we have a mic runner, we have two cordless mics to pass around for anybody later on who has questions. But I want you to listen to our great panel first. <clears throat> the other thing I want to mention is if you've been paying attention, um, Guide Dog Users, Inc. is right in the process now of um, elections and listening to candidates for the upcoming elections. Um, I strongly recommend people listen to those candidates' forums. They are wonderful. I listened to the last one. The next one is tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock. And you can also listen to the forums. They're, they're archived, so you can listen to them. And then later this month, there will be an election, uh, which you can participate in by telephone. And it's a really good system. So I strongly encourage everyone to participate um, and vote for the leaders of our organization. Okay, not to waste any more time, I'd like to turn the mic over to Debbie, who is the moderator of this panel. Debbie, you want the mic? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. She's got a show. Good morning, everybody. This is Debbie Grubb, recording secretary and program person and um, all of that kind of thing. And it is my honor to bring to you a wonderful panel. We have been talking a lot about fraudulent presentation of pets as service animals. And when we are most affected by that is when we are traveling. And there are so many other aspects of traveling today, overcrowded airports, less service, people who um, don't understand what a service dog is, trying to deal with the um, with crossing different intersections that we don't know, um, mastering what have become more and more complicated hotel and conference centers, a whole spectrum of traveling. And for this panel, for the purpose of this panel, this, the, we are going to cover the entire spectrum, not just getting there and getting home, but making the experience, whether it's a family vacation whether it's um, time with friends or whether it's a conference such as this, that we can make the most of the freeing power of having a guide dog while we are at our venue. We can work our dogs with dignity and pride and get where we need to go. And so I'm going to introduce the panelists to you. And the reason that they were chosen is because they all have a wide variety of travel experiences over a number of years. And of course, they're all guide dog users. Um, the first member of our panel and the first person to speak will be our president, Doug Hall. The next person to speak will be the, um, the 
immediate well, immediate, immediate, something like that, past (laughs) president of GDY. It's all very complicated. Anyway, she's the last. (laughs) She's. Anyway, she's with us. I was We're, president once. She was president once, just as I was. She's the last but anyway, so Becky is going to speak to us. Her one of her expertise is dealing with the Department of Transportation (TSA) legal aspects, and so she's going to speak to us a bit about that. And so she will speak directly after after Doug. Then as our third panelist, and I will remind you of their names as each one speaks, but we won't go through this every time. Um, Our third panelist to speak is Chelsea Morrow, and Chelsea, like Becky, is so faithful to come to all of our conferences. I forgot to say, neglected to say, that Becky is with us due to the generosity and caring of um, Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And she comes every, every year and has an exhibit and is so willing and, and able to participate in our panels. Our third panelist, Chelsea White, comes to us through the caring and kindness of the seeing eye. And she, too, comes to all of our events, exhibits, helps, participates in panels, and we are just so delighted to have her with us as well. The fourth panelist is going to kind of bat cleanup and cover things that um, we, may, we may have neglected or things that he thinks we sh- that need a little extra emphasis, and that is Mike Moran. Mike Moran is a member of our group. He lives between here in Florida and the state of New Jersey, and he, in his many and varied careers, has done a tremendous amount of traveling and I would imagine all of these panelists, if you put the air miles that they've earned traveling, we all could fly free a couple of times around the world. So having said all that, we are going to bring our first panelist to to the microphone, Doug Hall. When these panelists have completed their formal presentations, there will be an opportunity for you to ask questions and, and and to kind of frame what the discussion will look like. So without any further ado, here is our Guide Dog Users of Florida president, Doug Hall. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. I think this is working. Um, First of all, I wanted to mention, uh, I want to stress something that Debbie had said in the um, presentation on, on this pink thing. Traveling under the best conditions are very... Let me change microphones. I think you need to get it closer. Uh, let me see. I'm going to use this one instead. This one i got to keep away. I'm, I'm on your mic. You want to try the other mic instead? All right, let's see. It is off. It is off. Okay. I'm on your mic. Okay. It is on. It is, it is on. We're talking it is on. through a mic. I'm talking, dude. I can hear it. Anyway, Doug, the Johns- Doug, before you start, is the mic you were using on? Because I hear some feedback. Maybe yeah, the no, mic it's you off. were going to... Yeah, turn that, turn that one off. Now. It is off. No, turn that one off. No, you're getting a whoop. All right, hold well, on. Let me turn this one off, and I'll put back on the 400 cycle. <laughs> there. Is that better? Go to the podium. Oh, for God's sake. All right. 
Here. Wait a minute. I'm trying. I'm getting it out. If I can't, Mike, get this out. We're getting go. the podium mic, like you said. Technology. Here, um, tell Doug he's going to have to move down. Doug, oh, you want to come down there? Just, well, maybe, well, we're going to lose that glass. Okay. It, well, it's already out of the podium now. Oh, it is. Yeah, but it doesn't stretch very far. So just stand. Stand back a bit. There, there you go. go. Yeah, just do that. Okay, I'm right here. Actually, you might want to go down. Uh, no, you're good. Or no, he's not going to. It's That cord is really short. Oh, right. 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 Where's the mic? Okay, that's better. Okay. What a game. You know, it's funny. Coming in here, we're working on technology. Some really strange stuff worked perfectly. Here's a simple microphone. We have problems. Okay. Um, as I mentioned before, traveling under the best of conditions can be very stressful, both for the person and, more important in some ways, for the dog. Dogs pick up on our feelings, how we're doing. If we're stressed out, the dog is going to be stressed out. One of the things I think, first thing we need to keep in mind is that how we react, how we feel is going to affect the dog. And we need to remember that. If we get upset, we're probably going to get the dog upset. Um, I've been using dogs for just under 44 years. And I've done a lot of traveling over the last 44 years with various dogs. And each dog, as you well know, anyone who's had more than one dog, you know every dog has its own personality, its own needs. We need to um, keep that in mind and adapt to the dog. In terms, just in terms of traveling, there's a lot of things we need to keep in mind from how to pack. You know, when you came here, when you're packing, you put all your clothes away in your toiletries and whatever it is, but you also had to pack dog food and dog medicine and grooming tools and all the stuff your dog needs. Did you ever notice when you travel, you seem to have a suitcase for yourself and a suitcase for the dog? Um, and then when you're, at, when you're at a hotel, if you're traveling, you've got to groom the dog every day and you've got to feed the dog. And sometimes dogs don't feel like eating when they're traveling or they may want to not want to drink. I had a dog once that refused to drink water until my boss bought him Avion water in the, in the bookstore. I mean, in, in the hotel store at three bucks a bottle. <laughs> he didn't like the water in the hotel. There are a lot of things we need to keep in mind. Traveling-wise, here's one of the big things that comes for, especially flying. Did you ever notice you go on the airplane and they always want to put you in bulkhead? Well, I don't like bulkhead. Some people do. I don't. My dogs, I've taught my dogs to fit under the seat in front of me, and he flies better than most passengers. Now, unfortunately, I discovered last past year that airlines are changing. If you noticed, airlines are trying to save money, and they're putting the coach seats like they're six inches apart. Um, we flew, my, my wife and I flew down uh, this past summer from Philadelphia. I flew first class because there was no space for me, never mind my dog, in coach. Uh, so that's a consideration we need to look at. Bulkhead may be good. It may not be good. It's a condition that changes depending on, on what airline you're on, where you're going, and, and you know, whatever. Traveling by bus is a whole other issue. 
If you're traveling by Greyhound, sometimes their seats are close together. Um, again, we need to be relaxed, keep our dogs relaxed. My dogs, I get on the plane or in the car, where it is, he goes to sleep and usually doesn't wake up till we get where we're going. He's a good traveler that way. Um, in our car, our new car is not much smaller than what we had. He has about a foot between my wife's wheelchair and the door. And people always afraid the wolf's going to get caught. And you know, it's amazing. He knows exactly what he can do. Uh, the door closes and gives him maybe an inch. And he knows he's got an inch and he does it. Or he'll stick his nose out the door and as it's closing, just before it gets to his nose, he moves it. No. I'm on the... I'm on, it's, on, it's on. No problem. Um, traveling, though, is an adventure. It's very important that we keep in mind. Um, there's a lot of different situations that come up when we're traveling that we need to be aware of. I think the rule that I've always gone by when it comes to traveling is it's important that we're flexible and we just approach whatever the situation is when it comes up because things have a tendency to work out. Okay, and I'm going to leave it for a minute and let's see, I think next is Becky, right? Yeah. Or do you want to go ahead and introduce? Do you each have your own microphone? Or you no, we've got to use this one. Okay. I guess I'm going to have to get up. I don't think. No, oh, yeah, no, it'll work. Okay, all right, cool. Hi, everyone. Great to be in Florida. Um, so I'm going to tell you some of the complications um, around traveling and who does what with whom and what we can do when we run into problems a little bit. Um, my main focus is on airports because I think that is probably the most complicated. Um, I come from the New York City area, and there are lots of trains, and I do take Amtrak periodically. Um, I've been really quite successful What's unique to the New York area is that sometimes Amtrak shares their rail station with the light rail um, provider, but there are no Amtrak personnel at the station. So, and there, you know, sometimes it's hard to figure out what track you're supposed to be on and how to get there, and nobody, there's nobody there to help you. One of the things that I hoped would happen when security got increased again was that there would be some. Um, security people at the stations, um, that's not happening. But that's sort of unique to New York. If you travel out of, in and out of Penn Station or pretty much any of the other Amtrak stations I've been to, I go in and out of Buffalo and Albany quite a bit. Um, the staff for Amtrak are always have always been really, really helpful. So I'm not going to spend much time on Amtrak because airports are, you know, airports. Um, Keep in mind, first of all, you know, we all talked, Debbie mentioned and, and Doug mentioned how stressful travel can be. But stress is tra travel is stressful for sighted folks, too. Um, it's just not really that much fun anymore. Um, for those, I mean, I've been flying since I was in, like, third grade. And, you know, it's just not fun anymore. Um, so, but that's the world we live in, and there's no point in caring too much about, about that other than to have some idea of how things work and what to do. So when you step into the airport, into the public areas of the airport, all of the, everything in that particular part of the airport in terms of access is covered under the ADA. 
okay? So your rights of access to restaurants and businesses and everything within the airport itself or owned and run by the airport are covered under the ADA, okay? So that, that's pretty, pretty basic. We're all pretty much aware of that. And then we come to the lovely screening area, the TSA, Transportation Security Administration. Is it security or safety? It's one of those S words. Um, anyway, the TSA um, is <laughs> what it is. Um, I have, and I don't know if any of, of others of you have or not, but I've been participating now for several years in the TSA's Coalition on Disabilities um, and Medical Issues and Cultural Diversity. It's, they kind of threw it all in together and said, we better get together and figure out what to do about this. So um, the regulations that the TSA has on their website and in all their training materials are quite clear about how service dogs are to be dealt with going through the screening process. And there, here's, here's some things that you, you need to know. Under no circumstances can they separate you from your dog. None. They cannot say, well, you walk through and then call your dog, or, well, let the dog go through and then you come through. Um, they can't, you cannot be separated from your dog. I had a TSA agent tell me one time, well, you can send your dog through. I'll catch him. I'm like, and no, that's not happening. So um, that's the first thing to remember. The second thing is that you cannot be required to remove your dog's equipment. You're required to, re to remove most of your equipment, but you cannot be required to remove your dog's equipment. I don't have a lot of harness luggage on my dog. I used to. I have a poop bag holder um, and sometimes a portable water bowl on his harness. I usually take, and, and because I live in a part of the country where in the winter the days are pretty short, during the winter months I also have a strip of harness lights on his harness handle. I usually take take those off and put them in my backpack just to make things a little bit easier and maybe spend a little less time of them looking at all that stuff. But you're not required to do that. You cannot be required to show any kind of ID, proof, or other indication that your dog is a service dog. Um, what part of harness don't you understand is kind of the question. Um, I have really not been asked for anything like that, at least not for a long time. Um, and often ahead of me or behind me is somebody with a dog in a suitcase and the dog's yapping and carrying on. It's like, you know what? That's not my problem right now. If the dog isn't, my dog's ignoring it. I just want to get through here and get out of here. So um, what generally we tell people to do is to unload your, your equipment, walk up to the um, metal detector. They're not going to put you in that screening thing that takes pictures of everything because you can't do that with a dog. There's no way in the world that's going to work with a dog. So you do need to go through the metal detector. And what's supposed to happen is, okay, so you have your dog sit and stay. I make a long leash. I hold it in my left hand at the small of my back. I have the person who's telling me, you know, where things are direct me so that I'm in the center of that metal detector because if you touch the side of it, it will alarm. So you want to make sure you're right in the middle. You walk through, and as you walk through, um, you'll have plenty of space to get through before um, any of your dog's equipment alarms the system. So they will know who rang the alarm. So when you get through, then you'll call your dog through. The dog will alarm. 
Um, and then they'll, they'll want to pat the dog down. Some of them think it's a great idea. Some of them are terrified. And occasionally, and some of you have heard this story before, but it still makes me giggle. I went through. The TSA agent said, oh, is that a male or a female? And I said, it's a male. And they said, we need a male assist at the checkpoint. <laughs> What's annoying to me now is that I didn't say, well, really, it's neither. Let's see what they would have done with that. Anyway, um, and they'll pat the dog down. Once in a while, you'll get one who's terrified of dogs who will say, I'm not going to touch that dog. Well, they have gloves on, so really? Um, and sometimes you're going to face all of that. Um, sometimes they swab your hands. Sometimes they don't. Yesterday at LaGuardia, they, they, one person said they were going to, so I stood there and waited, and the other one said, what are you waiting for? And I said, well, I was told they wanted to swab my hands. And I said, he said, oh, no, it's okay. Oh, we'll make up my mind. So here's the, the most consistent thing about the TSA is that it's inconsistent. And you need to be aware of that. No matter how much training we have done, no matter how much training is available to them, occasionally you're going to get somebody who just doesn't get it. So here's what you do when that happens. They have trained a group of senior screeners, people that kind of were handpicked, to be what's called a passenger support specialist. The passenger support specialist, or PSS, they have them at every airport. If you run into trouble, if you have a TSA screener on a power trip telling you that he's in charge, not you, and you don't know the rules, you demand to see a PSS. Um, and they will, they will have to send for one. So, you know, just keep that in mind. There is also an organization called TSA Cares. Isn't that special? Um, but you can call their hotline and they will, if you want to file a complaint, you can call their hotline. Um, you can also call 72 hours in advance and they will meet you at the checkpoint and assist you through the screening process. Um, I haven't really tried that yet because generally speaking, um, I haven't really had too many problems. Um, I usually, um, and, and I know some people don't, don't, a lot of people don't do this, but in airports that I'm not familiar with, I usually will ask for an escort at the, when I check in just so that I can find my way to my gate. Um, airports are confusing, almost as confusing as this hotel, actually. And, um, and you know, it's, there's no harm in asking for assistance if you need it. Uh, when you get through the TSA... Um, part of that of things, and you get out to the gate, and you're talking to the um, gate agents about your seating and all of that. Now you're under the Air Carrier Access Act. That is the the law that allows you to have um, you know to sit anywhere within the class of seats you pay for. My husband is also a guide dog user. We've been told on numerous occasions that we can't sit together, and we generally generally say, "Oh yes, we can." Um, and he's right. We're right. You can have two guide dog users in a row. Now, on some of these little planes, it's not real comfortable to do that, and flights are more often full now. used to be if there was an empty seat available, a, a nice flight attendant would, you know, block one off or move somebody. Um, it, it's very rare nowadays unless you're flying to someplace that nobody else wants to fly to. So... 
Um, so you can't assume that you're going to have that kind of space. I have a, and I don't, I don't know how many schools have this. Guiding Eyes has harnesses that you can take the handle off really easily. So I usually take that off and put it in the seat pocket in front of me, which is fine unless I want to use the tray. But um, I usually don't. So um, I can put it down on beside my seat or someplace when I want to do that. But that makes the dog more comfortable. But it also means that I have that control easily if I need it to get the harness um, on. But those handles dig into dogs. They dig into shins. They dig into everything. So it's a good idea if you can to take the harness or at least the harness handle off when you get on the plane. Um, when you land... Um, Sometimes they will suggest that perhaps you'd like to have a wheelchair. It's like, well, do you want me to put the dog in it? You know, oh, how, here, how about this? I'll put my backpack in it. How's that? Um, and, they, and they do that kind of thing. But one last thing I want to mention, then, and I'll turn this over to Chelsea, um, is that if you run into problems on the plane or at the gate with the gate agent, Every airport is supposed to have what's referred to as a conflict resolution officer or a CRO. That's another person that you can contact and say, hey, look, I'm not getting what is legally mine. Or I'm not really thrilled with the chicken, the live chicken that's in the seat behind me. It's really distracting my dog. I'm not kidding. That happened. Not to my dog. But the Air Carrier Access Act is actually more open about what, can travel on the plane than the ADA, ADA is. The ADA defines um, a service dog very specifically. Under the Air Carrier Access Act, you can take an emotional support animal, and they don't necessarily limit it to dogs. You have to have some kind of documentation from a mental health professional. Well, that's not real hard to come by if you know how to do it. No yeah, well, no, there, there have been barnyard animals flying on planes recently in some airlines. So, you know, that's, I, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. Um, and the whole misrepresentation thing is a, is a, a whole thing for another panel discussion. Um, but there are more and more pets on planes. And the reason people try to misrepresent their pets is so they don't have to pay the, I don't know what the pet fee is, but there is a pet fee even for, even for a dog in a purse. And sometimes, you know, those dogs are not well behaved on the plane. And we just have to take care of ourselves and be responsible for ourselves and then be annoyed. Um, I have a contact at TSA who is very responsive. Um, when we're done, if we're giving out resources, I can give her name is Susan Buckland. And she is the one who is the contact person through this TSA Coalition on Disability. And you may have seen each month she sends out a... Um, an email talking about whatever month it is, like they had the, the re there was a recent one sent out for mental health in the TSA. Um, it's not discussing workers in the TSA. It's discussing people with mental health issues and how to deal with them through the screening process. So she sends those out once a month. But I know I've received from Guiding Eyes graduates some some un unbelievable complaints, and I've sent them to Susan, and she's taken action. So. You know, I'm willing to do that. I'm not the only person that has contact with her, but I'm willing to be that go-to person if people need somebody. So um, I'm going to give this back to Debbie. Just one minute. Um, before we turn it over to our dear friend Chelsea, I just want to clarify one thing. It's okay if you feel comfortable sitting in the bulkhead. 
the deal that Doug and Becky were trying to tell you is you cannot be forced to sit in the bulkhead. And I have a dog who, unlike Becky's dog, will not stay still while I go through the checkpoint. So I choose to have someone hold her leash and go through. But I can't be forced to do that. But Dina, as many of you know, is in a world of her own. And she's not going to lie still. She will come right after me. And it's not going to change now, so I make an accommodation. But they can't, just because I do that to accommodate for my dog, they can't force you or Becky or someone else to do that. So you have a certain amount of choice, but you cannot be forced to do certain things. And so I just wanted to clarify that so that everybody feels free and easy in their minds. And um, we are now going to turn it over to Chelsea to speak to us for a few minutes, and then we'll have some discussion and questions and that kind of thing. So Chelsea, you may oh, see Chelsea's got one of those dogs that will rest. <laughs> We're turning over to, we are. Chelsea. Good morning, everybody. All right, so we are talking about making travel as stress-free as possible. Uh, I don't think that's possible anymore, but anyways, we'll try. Um, Doug touched a bit about packing and that kind of thing, and I I am a firm believer that uh, starting your trip outright and, and packing and having all of the stuff that you need is at least going to start you out in the right direction uh, and making your trip as stress-free as possible. So it's really important if you travel, uh, if you're you know, going to, like we've said, you know, family vacation, conference like this, whatever it happens to be, um, to not only make sure that you have the stuff you need, your clothes, your toiletries, your medications, that kind of stuff, but your dog's stuff as well. Because believe it or not, it is even more difficult to get stuff for your dog when you're traveling than it is for you, especially food and medications and that kind of stuff is, is really tough to come by when you're traveling uh, for your dog. So especially if they're on a special diet, um, if they're on you know medications that are prescribed by your vet, that kind of stuff, that stuff is really hard to come by. So make lists. Uh, do however it is you you do that kind of stuff best. Um, I tend to, as I use something, I pack it. So if I, in the morning when I feed my dog, I go and I make sure, okay, I have enough food for the time that I'm going to be gone. When I feed her, I make sure, all right, I have bowls to use when we travel to feed her. Uh, Hannah's not on any medications currently, but my last dog, the last year or so of her life, when we were traveling together, she was on several medications. So as I gave her a medication, I made sure we had enough packed. So that's just how it works for me. So um, the other thing is, is to take advantage of technology. Um, there are a ton of apps and such out there these days to give you information about where you're going. Uh, you can use GPS-type systems, Blind Square, the Seeing Eye GPS app, 
Um, Google Maps has gotten fairly decent about being accessible. But use those things to sort of look around the area that you're going to be in and get some basic information about where you're going to be because that really helps um, when you're trying to get transportation, um, when you're, you know, giving directions to a cab driver or an Uber driver or a Lyft driver, anybody, you know, hotel, whatever. But the more information about sort of the general area where you're going to be staying that you can get before you go is, is very, very helpful. Um, I know I tend to look at um, Blind Square and um, uh, Foursquare and those kinds of things to get information about the area that I'm going to be in. Look for you know restaurants in the area. Maybe try to locate a grocery store, a convenience store, um, those kinds of things to you know so that if I need something. Um, I have some basic idea of, of where it's at, and I'm not scrambling at the last minute to try to get some of those things. Um, I also, you know, if if I know I'm going to be in a particular place for a long time or um, those kinds of things, I'll, I'll even call the hotel and see if I can't get some information from the hotel about transportation. Um, do you, Does the hotel have a shuttle? Uh, does the hotel recommend a specific cab company or um, car service or something like that? Um, and those kinds of things so that you can arrange for your transportation ahead of time. Um, or when you get to the airport so you know to ask for, you know, Bob's limo service or whatever um, to get you to the hotel and to the places that you need to go. So... Um, another thing that I'm going to mention, um, and I wish I would have done this four or five years ago when it was available, is if you are planning on traveling several times a year, um, I'd say, you know, two, three, four, five times a year on a, you know, sort of a regular basis, look into doing what they call TSA pre-check. Um, it's... Um, you have to apply for it, and what, what you do is you, you apply online, depending on whether you want the international part of it or not. It's, it's either, I believe, just TSA pre-check around the United States. I believe it's $80. Is it 80 and, and it's good for five years. Um, if you want to add some international stuff onto that, what makes it a little bit easier to get in and out of Canada and that kind of thing. Um, it's $100, and it's also good for five years. And what it allows you to do is to go through security check a lot easier and a lot quicker. Um, you have, at most larger airports, you have a specific TSA pre-check line, so you don't have to wait in the super long lines. Um, you don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take laptops and liquids out of bags. Um, if you're, if you do the international stuff and you're going in and out of Canada, you don't have to fill out that little, I think, is it blue form? The little customs card. You just, you have a little card that you show them and you show them that your little, um, it's called a Nexus card because it's called the Nexus program. But you show them your card 
and your passport, and that's it. Um, you don't, you know, you don't have to go through all the other stuff um, that you do to get like in and out of Canada. So, um, but like I said, I I highly recommend it. It makes the security process a whole lot easier, a whole lot quicker, um, and and I like I said, highly recommend it for those of you who plan to travel you know, several times a year on a regular basis. If you, you know, travel once every five years, it's really not worth it. But, you know, if you visit family in, in different cities around the country several times a year, um, it is worth looking into. So that is what I have to say. So I will hand the microphone back to, who am I handing this to? To Debbie. Before, oh, oh sorry. Before we um, turn the microphone over to Mike, which we're going to do momentarily. Um, I just, I just want to make sure that you all understand that when this is over, we will have discussion time, and that to re- reiterate, you have certain choice, and to remember very clearly that, as Becky pointed out, in the airport, it's the ADA. After you go went from screening on. It's, it's air carrier access. And I'm going to ask uh, one of the reasons I brought this up. Before we turn it over for your questions, after Mike presents, I'm going to ask um, the, the, the panelists who choose to, to talk to us a little bit about the differences in more detail and what, how to educate ourselves so that we know where we are and, and what what we're doing and what we're about. So without any further ado, just to keep us on track and make sure everybody's clear about everything, now we're going to turn the microphone over to our final panelist for his comments, and then we'll move on. So without any further ado, here's Mike Moran. Good morning, everyone. It is, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, there we go. And um, is this on? Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay, good. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, I, I want to thank uh, uh, Doug and Becky and Chelsea and Debbie. And also uh, to say that I always remember what uh, I guess the mission statement is of many schools, and that is to enhance the dignity, independence, and self-reliance of a blind person through the use of a seeing-eye dog or guide dog. And, you know, today the world is changing so rapidly. Um, Transportation changes. The rules change. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, uh, change is going to go on whether we like it or not. It's always happening. And I find that the most important thing for me, is my attitude about it. Because we have many forms of transportation out there. We have different people who are more open to uh, service dogs, seeing-eye dogs, guide dogs. But we also run into people who don't know. And sometimes it can be very degrading. It can be maddening because many of these people come to America without an understanding of what our dogs do for us. Because in their culture, there probably isn't such a thing as a guide dog. So 
I need to adjust my attitude, and that, I think, is, is the challenge for all of us, is to have the correct attitude about what we're doing. I'm not out to prove anything. I am out to accomplish something, and I am not a victim. I think it's important for all of us to remind ourselves that we are not victims. We need to feel empowered. Now, we don't all have the same kind of personality. You know, uh, we can't all run through Yankee Stadium and say, make way for me. I have a guide dog. And then there's other people who, you know, are more tempted to, to, to sit back and uh, are a little bit shy about declaring their independence. So we, we're at one end of the spectrum and another. But find a way that works for you. Find a way that fits your personality. Because if not, what happens, I, I hear stories all the time. People get thrown from pillar to post. They get, you know, somebody told me to wait here. Somebody told me to put my dog in a trunk. Somebody put me in the trunk and put the dog in the seat. I don't know. You know, you get all kinds of combinations and there is really, I think it hurts everyone at their core to be discriminated against to, by a restaurant, by an Uber driver, by anyone who wants to make you feel like a second-class citizen. And, you know, it's a very hurtful thing. It, it strikes, discrimination is very, very painful. So it's very hard for my personality not to want to uh, maybe uh, go postal, as they used to say, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I try to keep a smile on my face and talk and try to stay quiet because I... The one thing that I know is that the louder the other person gets, the quieter I have to get. Because if you get loud and they get loud, they can't hear you. If you just stay calm and tell yourself, you know, when I get out of here, I'll break every car window on the street. But until that time, I'm going to maintain my composure. Because, I mean... I have felt discrimination uh, in housing, in employment, in travel, in restaurants. It, it goes on and on and on. But I'm not unique. The thing is, how do I not internalize that and make it so that I am bitter and that I have an attitude and an edge about me? So... You know, my, my, I think the challenge for me, and I'm sure for many of us, is to try to educate. You know, when I go to a place like an airport or a train station, I try to be an observer as well as uh, an active participant. So when I walk into, um, let's say we go to an airport, and the people at the uh, the magnetometer are all scurrying to try to tell me how we're going to 
make this process happen with going through with the dog, I stop it all and say, hold it. This is the way this is going to go. I've done this many times, and I do it pleasantly. And I explain that I'm going to go through first. And I usually have the person who's assisting me hold the dog's leash. Now, years ago, they used to tell us, don't let go of the leash. You know, things could happen. But my dog will not sit still now. He's a shepherd. He's very attached to me. So I do the whole thing. I I let the guy grab my wrists and walk me through because my shoulders are wide and I don't want to touch the side of the magnetometer. So I walk through. I call the dog. They give him a pat down. They do your hands. But I also noticed uh, that Amtrak seems to be doing a lot better with uh, accommodating service animals. I just want to point that out because we recently took Amtrak. And uh, there was a couple of years ago where you rode on an Amtrak train. It was almost like they were hoping we would not keep doing this. They fought it all the way. And now I have found that they can't be more accommodating and very, very uh, pleasant about the whole thing. And they take it very seriously. So I think that's a, uh, you know, something to consider when you want to travel. Uh, also, you know, with the train, because they can be longer, you want to make sure that there are appropriate stops so that you can get some water for your dog and relieve your dog. But uh, I think that we have probably, between all of us, covered a lot of things. I know we can't cover everything. So I'm going to... Uh, turn it over to Debbie, and I guess we'll just uh, take it from there. Hold on a minute. Let me get you this. I, I want to tell you why I'm going to put some of our panelists on the spot a little bit to talk about these different laws, and I want to tell you something that happened to me, which is why I, I feel it's so important that we do this, because I'm not unique. Three or four months ago, I was flying into Tampa International Airport, and I was flying on my own, and um, I had decided it was very hot on the plane, and I told the, the airline people that I could get off the plane and out of the jetway, and I would go up top and wait for the person who was going to go help me get my bag. So anyway, I did that. And as I was exiting the jetway and getting ready to go find a place over by the counter where I could wait, this dog, and it sounded like a big dog from out of nowhere, started snarling, and I could hear it jumping against its its leash. And it was very frightening to me. I guess I got a horrified look on my face because one of the passengers who was heading off the plane at the same time said, it's okay, sweetheart, his person has him and I'm not going to let me I'm going to get between you and this this dog and I said thank you very much and I said I said why don't you have control of your dog and why would you bring a dog into an airport that disrupts programs and services what is going to happen if you can't control this dog and some well-meaning person said now we mustn't judge and I said this is not judgment This is the law. There are certain laws about service animals. They have to be well-behaved. They cannot be out of control. This dog is a menace, and it is frightening to people. 
and it puts all of us using service dogs in a bad light. So I called about it um, to the to the TSA people and told my story. And I think that because there are two laws, as we've already learned today, that govern the airport, and when we're in housing, there are darn three, and the fact that they don't always agree. They're, they're so diverse. One of the things that is, is so wonderful is we're trying, that, that there's a, a movement afoot to try to get um, air carrier access and housing to use the DOJ ADA as the model, but th- we're not there yet. So I know that uh, Doug and Becky will want to talk about this a little bit, and we'll ask our other panelists as well if, if they would like to, and then we will um, move on to discussion. But this, this, divergent, this divergence in our laws, and this is legal here and this isn't legal here, it makes it so easy for fraud. So... Um, I think it might be helpful for us to just spend a few minutes on this before we move on to your questions. So I'm going to start with with Becky, and then we'll call on Doug, and then we'll see if Mike and Chelsea have anything that they would like to add to this. So, Becky, here you go. There you go. I think it was empty, right? Okay. Um, Can you hear me? Okay, good. There's not a whole lot to add to what Debbie said, except that it's really important, and we can't emphasize it enough, that you understand the differences, because the better prepared you are at the outset of your trip, the smoother trip you're going to have, because you're prepared. It's not going to shock you when something, I mean, it may shock you, but it's not going to be... You're not, it's not going to be totally unexpected when you face a situation like that. One of, the, um, one of the things that I think we'd like to start focusing on in this whole discussion of service animals is because requiring proof is just not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. But we can talk about the importance of, um, of having well-controlled dogs and well-controlled handlers um, with, re- with our rights come responsibilities. We all know that. We all live that way. We take care of our dogs. We pick up after our dogs. We keep them under our control. Accidents happen. Dogs are dogs. Sometimes they do things that we wish they wouldn't do. But it's like my dog likes to take teddy bears away from children. But um, he'll give them back. It's, it's okay. But it's really not okay. And It's my responsibility to make sure and get him back under my immediate control if I can't stop it from happening in the first place. And we all know that sometimes in airports we're juggling, literally. So, um, you know, so things happen, but, but not like what Debbie experienced. And because of the differences between the ADA's definition and the ACAA, Air Carrier Access Act, definition, that out-of-control nasty dog was probably somebody's emotional support dog, um, or at least they got documentation saying so. It's kind of hard to tell who needed the emotional support, the dog or the person. But, um, but that being said, there's nothing in the Air Carrier Access Act that would necessarily prevent that. However, the, the idea that there is an initiative afoot and it's, it's been discussed for quite some time, but now ACB is actively involved in 
uh, I believe the ACB Transportation Committee um, is actively involved with getting this done so that everybody's on the same page and we all know what to expect. So um, anytime an opportunity comes up to, to talk about that with a legislator, do it. It's really, it's really important for all of us. Um, and so few people understand any of this as it is. I mean, if you went to an airport and asked a gate agent, so what law are you under? They'd be like, um, I don't know. <laughs> they probably wouldn't know. So, you know, but you do. You know. So um, I'm going to, there's not a whole lot more to say about the TSA, I don't think. Just remember that they're an army unto themselves. Um, and they they have their own rules, and they claim any time you question them, well, you know, we don't have to tell you why we do stuff. And to a certain extent, they don't because it is a security agency, and we all know that security these days is a lot more um, something that we're thinking a lot more about than we used to have to, um, but it doesn't give them a right to go against their own regulations, and it's important to understand that as well. Doug? All right. Oh, he's got, okay. Yeah, I'll use this one. John sounds good. Um, what Becky and Debbie are saying about other animals, it can be a problem. The laws, yes, the laws are there. You have the Air Carrier Act, you have the Housing ADA. It's confusing to a lot of people. But you know the long and short of it? It doesn't matter what the law says. It depends what people want to do and how it's interpreted. Uh, ADA is very restrictive in terms of what is considered a service animal. We all know there are people that take snakes and birds and cats and whatever it is into stores. That's against the ADA, but they do it anyway. So, yes, the laws do set certain standards if they follow the laws. Frankly, a lot of people don't understand the laws. In terms of flying, now, I've flown a few times in the last 44 years. I've never really had a problem with other animals. My problem is with people. Uh, like when I get off an airline and they bring me a wheelchair. Oh yeah. I love it because they can't keep up with me. Um, one time I flew into Atlanta and I had a suitcase and I put the suitcase in the wheelchair and I said, follow me. And I took off and he kept telling me to slow down and he couldn't keep up. Uh, another time, got off the airline, I was to make a connection and unfortunately, my flight was late. I had 20 minutes to get from Concourse A to Concourse D in Atlanta. And I made it. Unfortunately, I got off the plane. I was waiting. And there was nobody there to take me to Concourse D. So I took off myself and just asked people which way to go. And I'm fast enough that I could make it. Um, the animals, animals really have not been a real problem to me. Now, I know other people who have. I know of a guide dog user who had his dog attack, attacked by a bird that was allowed in the store because it was a, uh, um, a comfort animal. That's a problem. Um, we have passed a law here in Florida, and Debbie kind of mentioned it briefly, we passed a law here in Florida regarding fake service animals. Most states don't have laws like that anymore. So it's, it's tough. It's unfortunate that in this country, 
it's legal to sell fake ID. Um, our flea market here in, in Daytona Beach, my, my wife and I were in there, and there was a guy that had an ad, he had a sign up, um, prove that your pet is a service animal and take it with you. He was selling fake ID. It's legal to do that. In Florida, it's legal to use it, but those people can still sell it. You can go online right now and buy fake ID for a pet. It's a problem. We need to get a handle on it. Um, it's caused problems for service animal users. Uh, the lady in Tallahassee had gone into this museum many times, no problem. She went in the one time, they wouldn't let her in. They've had problems with animals that came in there, and probably they weren't service animals. It's an area we need to be aware of. We need to make sure that the animals out there are appropriate, as, as Becky said. The animals need to be under control. They need to be properly behaved because how we react, how our dogs react, is going to cause other people who see it to think whatever. Um, for instance, if you allow your dog on the seat of a cab, that cab driver is going to think twice about allowing a guide dog in his cab if your dog makes a mess on the seat. So there, there are issues. The laws, yes, the laws are very important. They do set certain restrictions. I am really hoping that air carrier and housing take a look at it and become in line with ADA. Debbie, you would like it back? John, we are, um, do any of our other panelists want to speak about this or do we feel this issue has been covered? You all right, Moran, you want to say anything? Uh, I, just, uh, I just want to say, you know, uh, keeping uh, the dog on the, uh, on the floor of a cab is, is a nice thing to do, but there are some cabs that that can't happen in because the back of the seat is too close to the front of the seat. They have that partition there. And uh, there are times that the dog has to go on the seat. And uh, also, uh, I always ask an Uber driver if he, will, if he would prefer to put down a blanket or a towel. And most of the time, they say, no, nah, it's okay, I have a dog of my own. But, uh, you know, th there, I have found in travel that very few issues are black and white. You know, you have to be adaptive and flexible because um, everything is different. Everybody is different. We're different. So to uh, be uh, flexible, I think, helps and not to be rigid about, you know, how things are going to be. Uh, so that's what I have to say about that. In the 25, 20, 25 minutes we have left, we're going to take your questions. I need to ask John a procedural question about the streaming. And then, um, Kathleen, are you still in the room? Would you, like, would you like to be our mic runner if this is possible? Huh? Dwell. Oh, we Very good. Excellent. You have a mic to run with. We, we'll get him up here. But... 
We have to ask, John, if we have mic runners, will the streaming be able to pick it up, or do we need to repeat the question? All right. Then what we're going to do is we're, we're going to ask our mic runner, if you have a question, please raise your hand. When the mic runner brings you the mic, please identify yourself and try to get right to it because we want to hear from as many people as possible. So um, let's, let's put our hands up and the mic runner will recognize you by handing you the mic and um, we'll move on from there. And if you have a particular panelist that you want to address your question to, that's fine. Or if you don't care, we'll just let whoever wants to speak to it, speak to it. So here we go. Okay, very good. Well, maybe we'll, we'll figure it out. Is everyone awake, though? This is yeah. the important thing. Could you say your name, please? And turn on the mic. Wait a minute. Okay, Barbara wants to... Do you, okay, let's make sure everybody gets the mic that wants to speak for us and for the streaming. No, we need we Somebody want to tap that mic? Okay. Can you tap it? Let's let's do this for right now. Barbara, yes. can you say your question real loud? Then we're going to take a moment and just repeat your question for the streaming, and then mm. we'll have people answer it. So just for right now. I feel if you there have you a go. Hallelujah. Okay, go for it, kiddo. I feel if you have a guide dog, you should know the needs of your pet. I feel those drivers have enough problem. They're not going to have enough sanitary towels and place to dispose it to take a towel with them for your dog, for each dog. That's it. That's all I have to say. What we have found, and I'm going to let Mike speak to this as well, is that it's just a courtesy. Most Uber drivers have a towel. It's a, it's a, just or a blanket. Some of them keep it on the seat all the time because they're getting babies and passengers in there. And it's just a, an, a, a courtesy. And we all do our best to keep our dogs clean. And whenever possible, Doug is right. We do our best to put the dogs on the floor. It's just that once in a while when there's not room and you do your best. And so we we really do and and you know that's that's how that goes and I'm going to let Mike respond to this question too and then we'll move on to the next one. Well, all I wanted to say is that uh you know uh we can only be so thorough about all this. We don't need to make apologies to anybody because we have a dog. And there are all kinds of people getting in these cabs, people who have been drinking too much, people who are, uh, have kids with leaky diapers. 
So, you know, the dog is really the least of the problems that these guys go through. And when you're dealing with the public, that's part of what comes with the territory. I, I don't want to be hard about it, but sometimes we have to say, hey, listen, I'm, a, I'm part of the public. I can't be running around with a bunch of, you know, towels and wipes and sanitary sprays. You know, I'm not here to do detailing on your car. So, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of flexibility they have to have as well. If you have a question and you've not been recognized, maybe our runner doesn't quite see you. This Can is you, Mary. I, there I you go, the Mary. Yeah. Um, Mary Tyson. Um, somebody was talking earlier, and I think it was Becky. I can't remember for sure. They were talking about the designated person at the airport who is a conflict resolution officer. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't somebody who does that job, but I've never heard that term. And I've worked at the airport for my whole life. Um, is this an airline position or a TSA position uh, or an airport uh, employee that, that I'm provides I'm going to hand this? the mic to Becky to let her address this. <laughs> we have flying cups. We're bowling for cups up here. Um, it's not a TSA person. That person is a passenger support specialist. That is specifically a TSA person. The conflict resolution officer, I, I believe, is pretty much under the ACAA. And they will actually come on the plane and try to resolve an issue. Um, we had, I have, have an acquaintance who they refused to allow her to sit where she was sitting um, and they did have the, they did call for the complaint resolution officer, the CRO, conflict, conflict resolution officer, and that person did come on the plane. Um, I don't know how well known that is, but it is something that I believe is mandated. It is. <laughs> yes. And, and we, it, they do, they are mandated, and we in GDY have been talking about them for years, but it's, we all learn something every day, don't we? So, so this is a good thing. Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you. Honey. Hi, my name's Janae Gates. Can you talk in, uh, can, can what do I do? <laughs> Push a button or something? No, it's, it's on. It's on. So just closer. Oh, closer? Yeah, there Got you it? go. Okay. Good morning. My name is Janae Gates. And I only had my dog for 10 months. Uh, and we've traveled 10 times in those 10 months. So uh, I've, we've done a lot of traveling on a lot of different um, transports uh, in all the airlines. I'm sorry I came in a little late and I hate to go over this again, but I heard something about being sitting in the bulkhead. Could I ask you to go over that one more time? Because... Um, I don't know if we're supposed to sit in the bulkhead or we can sit anywhere we want. That's my question. Okay. We're going we're gonna to set your mind at ease about the bulkhead, and we're going to let whoever wants to do it, do it. Becky, Chelsea? Do it, Chelsea. Do it, do it, Chelsea. You, you haven't spoken here much. Okay. Now, here you go. Right over my right. Chelsea's going to address this question for us. Actually, I'm going to go over you, Debbie. <laughs> 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 we're not only b
Okay, so here is the deal with the bulkhead or any other seat on the airplane with the exception of the exit row. Okay? You cannot, as, as a person with a disability, sit in the exit row because you need to be able to either, you need to be able to see, hear, and comprehend instructions. Okay? Because you need to be able to see signs, you need to be able to hear instructions, and you need to be able to comprehend instructions. So the only place that we are not allowed to sit is the exit row, all right? They cannot make you sit in any other specific designated seat. So if you don't want the bulkhead, you don't want to sit there, you don't like it, it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for your dog, whatever, they cannot make you sit there. Um, and, and they can't make you sit in any other designated seat on the plane either. The only thing is your dog needs to be able to be out of the main aisle of the plane. So generally, unless you have a really little dog, which I know some people do, a little tiny pocket labs, um, the, the aisle seats don't work very well, um, just because you're going to have a foot or a tail or a rear end or a nose or something in the aisle and a that you they that's not allowed and b more than likely your dog's going to get stepped on anyway so it's not some place you want to put your dog even if it wasn't a big deal so there is there is that so like i said they cannot make you sit in any specific seat um i actually had a question for becky and i don't know if we know the answer to this but it used to be that the airlines were not required to make you sit in the bulkhead, but they were required to give you that option. And a lot of airlines these days have, especially I've noticed it on American quite a bit. I don't know about a lot of the other airlines. But those first four rows of coach, they have given a little extra space and they've started charging for it. Now, my question, because <laughs> I have the microphone and I can ask the question, is can, can, can we be charged that fee um, with the dog? And if those four rows are already full and we need that space for our dog, we have a bigger dog, and, and that's the only place that's going to work, how, how, does that, how does that work? That's my question. Has it, has it been discussed at all? I, I think uh, one of the problems... Oh, I just wanted, before you answer that, Becky, I just want to point out that I flew down here on Spirit, and uh, I was in the second row, and I said, I usually sit in the bulkhead, and they said, well, this is now considered the bulkhead. I said, wait a minute, you can't do that. Either you're in the bulkhead or you're not in the bulkhead. Pretty soon, the whole darn plane's going to be considered the bulkhead. So I guess that goes with the extra charge, right, Becky? Did you have to pay an extra charge? No, I did. Okay, now we're going to give the phone, the microphone to Becky to continue this discussion. Thank you. Um, I am not an expert on that either. It has been discussed over the past several years in the service dog community. Um, and bulkheads vary from plane to plane. There are some planes where... Um, the bulkhead is right behind first class and all that's really in front of you is a curtain and it's, it's like nirvana for the dog. 
Um, but then there are those planes where it's a solid wall and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and I don't think at this point, because they still consider the bulkhead to be available disability seating, I don't think they would, they can charge us, um, if we choose to want to sit there. But I think it's only that bulkhead row. Of course, as Mike said, you know, who's defining bulkhead anyway? And if it's American, no, I won't go there. Um, I just won't go there. Um, you know, so it's kind of a, still kind of a tricky issue. I know JetBlue has those first few rows as they, they, they have started charging extra for them. JetBlue has a really nice bulkhead, so I'm happy to sit in it. And they usually, they usually put me there, and, and I'm not charged for it. Um, but and if you it, and if you've ever been in towards the back of a jet blue fight, you'll find out why they're charging more for those front seats. Um, but um, the answer to that question is still a little bit up in the air, so to speak. And I think, um, but I think we have we can expect not to be charged extra if we choose to sit in a bulkhead that happens to be in that first four rows. What often happens with the airlines, and this is something, this is why they have conflict resolution officers. Um, what often will happen is that a flight attendant or a gate agent will say, you know, you know, you'll explain to them that you have the option to sit in any seat in, within the class that you've paid for, and the airline personnel will say, well, it's airline policy, and you have to sit here. And I, I did have this happen, and it went all the way up to the captain. And, you know, and they said, you know, finally they resolved it and said, yeah, she can sit there. Um, I think many of you may recall the incident a couple of years ago with U.S. Air and a, and a guide dog user who they sat in a certain place and then they kept telling him to move his dog, but there was nowhere to move his dog. And ultimately they kicked him off the plane and the rest of the passengers went off the plane with him um, because they, in his support of him. But that kind of thing is really unusual, but... Um, they will try to tell you that it's airline policy, but airline policy is not above ACAA. Okay. All right. Any other question? I think we have time for one more, and then we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping before we send you on to the next thing. Any other questions for the panel? Yes. <clears throat> okay. Who uh, can you hear me? I'm Tom Hansen, and I have two comments and a question. Commons is the uh, first time I used the um, Uber. He had his seats covered, so I let uh, my dog up on the seat. When we reached a destination, when Marco started turning around, he just reached over the front seat, gave him a little lick in the ear, and now Marco can do nothing wrong anytime <laughs> we're in his cab. Um, secondly, I just got here, and I don't know, everybody might be aware that the door for the relief area that's in the uh, program is not available due to construction. So just be aware of that if you read to walk on the directions. And my question is, I was told um, that the bulkhead, if it had the emergency door, that um, I could not use it with my surface dog. So... Uh, that was in coach, and so to compromise, they asked if I would go to the bulkhead in front first class and be satisfied. And, I and guess I you were. No, as as Chelsea as Chelsea pointed out, wherever the exit row seating is, emergency seating, we cannot sit there. 
Um, many years ago, the NFB fought that. We don't know why. Um, it was one of those, but no, we cannot. Any other questions before we get to housekeeping? Just one more comment. Okay, let's do it. it. It's Mary. Um, I just wanted to say that I've asked the airlines about it just from my local people. I've not spoken to the, uh, you know, the powers that be in Atlanta and Charlotte and wherever else. Um, And they have told me that I should not be charged um, if I am seated in one of those rows. And they do try to accommodate it. Um, As you well know, it's always best to be aware and to always question um, and make sure you're not being charged. But as of now, I have been told that they are not supposed to charge you for that if you have a service dog. Thank you, Mary. Okay, anything else before we... Okay, before I turn the microphone back to our president for his closing remarks as time is flying by, I just want to put in a reminder that Guide Dog Users of Florida is the host chapter, the host state for the 2017 Top Dog Workshop. We are having... Thank you. We are having um, a wonderful program, and one of the program pieces that I wanted to plug, because Chelsea brought it up in her comments about using wayfinding, we are going to have a program that talks about travel, and one of the components of it is going to be an update on wayfinding devices, how they work, and how to best use them, and and uh, that kind of thing in terms of devices, apps. So we're going to have a very diverse program for those of you who are not technological minded. We have lots of we have a wonderful veterinary presentation talking about coping with allergies in guide dogs. We're very excited about that program. We're also going to have a program about what lions all over the country do. Um, for blind people and how we can connect with them, not only for them to help us, but for us to reach out to blind people that they serve and help them. So we're going. that's another one of our programs we're going to have. We're going to have a very exciting guide dog school update. I'm extremely happy about that. And we are going to have, we haven't really determined what it's going to look like yet, but we will have I'll call it for right now, instead of a blessing of the guide dogs, we will have a spiritual time with us, our guide dogs, and our past guide dogs, and we will update you as time goes by. We, Our plan is to have registration open in August. Um, in the next couple of weeks, but we've been so busy working on this, there will be another written update about Top Dog. Um, as most of you probably know, it does take place in Orlando, Florida, at the Holiday Inn across from Universal. And um, it it begins on Thursday the 12th and goes through Sunday the 15th. There will be hotel room pricing three days post and prior so that you all can vacation and take care, take advantage of some of that. So please remind your friends. And we, we in GDUF are very pleased and proud of our event. We've gotten wonderful comments about our past events. And what is so wonderful about Top Dog is each year, each every two years, when one of the states takes it over, it has its own unique personality. And ours is kind of a little bit more serious, a little bit more advocacy organ, organ, um, 
allocated a little bit more educationally based, but that doesn't, that's not a bad thing because when you consider we come around every six years, we can have one of these and then we can have the funvention in South Carolina and, and the wonderful things that happen in, in Georgia with our Georgia friends. So we are very excited about this event. We're going to have a wonderful meal package, some great entertainment. So I'm going to turn it over to Doug now to close us out, but I it's 1024, so he's got six minutes. And so we're going to say go, Doug. But I want to thank you all for coming. Let's give our panelists one final rousing applause. <laughs> Weren't they great? And please, please, don't forget about Top Dog. So, Doug, the mic is thank, yours now. Thank you, Debbie. Let me see. Oh, yeah, this Kathleen, a- one minute, Doug. Uh, Kathleen, I'm sorry. Um, would you like to just say it about the microphone? Because that's kind of gone off our radar screen. No, go for it. How much are the tickets? Okay, we are having a raffle here at the convention, the proceeds of which will benefit the treasury that is funding this this top dog. And the the tickets are one for five or three for ten. And your prize is, whoever the winner is, is reimbursement for two nights with all appropriate tax, not incidentals, but two nights with appropriate tax at the hotel. And what we will do is we will not go to the desk and pay your bill. The winner will be reimbursed for the cost of two nights with appropriate tax. So we will be... um, we will be announcing this throughout the convention. If you want tickets, see you, right, Kathleen? All right. Finally, Doug, go for it, Mr. Thank, President. Thank, well, actually, I'm not going to take four minutes. You're lucky. Uh, for, for people in Halifax who know me, I'm usually long-winded. I'm not going to be this time. Thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. We have a very few minutes to go. We have a meeting in here at 1030. John just told me we need to be out of here. Because the next meeting starts at 10.30. Thank you for coming. If you have any more questions, feel free to contact any of us. We're always looking for ideas. Um, We want your involvement in access issues. Thank you very much.